to be enough. In fact, we could never be enough to attain that standard. But you didn't leave us in our sin. You sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price we could never pay. That ultimate act of love, that ultimate act of sacrifice. Let us be radically transformed and changed by the saving power of the gospel. And I pray that any of us who have not experienced that transformation would give our lives and dedicate them to you today. I pray over these graduates, let them be encouraged to live their lives in service of you, in honor of you, and raise them up in their paths. It is in Jesus' holy, magnificent, powerful name that we pray. Now we have a very special speaker for you today, a North American Mission Board missionary guy. He'll introduce himself a little bit more what he does, but he's been gracious enough to come and to deliver us the message. Tim Wolf. Good morning, how's everybody doing? All right, so here's the deal. We're going to have to make some noise. You can use your outside voices. Uh, we do want to thank Mr. Fields. Man, that was a phenomenal um, charge to the students, so thank you for bringing that this morning. And can we give uh, just a super loud round of applause for the graduates? So that was pretty good. Let's try it one more time. One, two, three. Man, it's an honor to get to be here and, uh, man, to be with the graduates. And, wow, um, what God can do in your life um, in the days to come. Thankful for whatever he's done to this point. But to the future, man, uh, there is no ceiling with God. And that's the key. As a matter of fact, that's the key to everything. Education's great. Knowing people's great. Having lots of resources is great. But knowing God is way better and way bigger. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open to the book of Philippians. I have the privilege of serving as your send, S-E-N-D, so don't not, I didn't say send, but send city missionary. I serve with what's called the Send Network team. It's part of the North American Mission Board. In Southern Baptist life, we are privileged that one of the great things that God has done in us is that he has taught us that we do more together than we can apart. So what that means is that there's 47,000 Southern Baptist churches across North America and Canada, and on any given Sunday, they sacrificially give. And when they give, a part of that giving goes to doing missions around North America and the world. So one thing I want to say loud and clear to the Fifth Street Baptist Church is thank you for being a generous church 
and giving to missions. I know that. I, I know that about your pastor. I've heard that about your church. And it's an honor for me to be here, if for nothing else, to say thank you. Thank you for giving and sacrificing. Because if somebody doesn't give and somebody doesn't sacrifice, nothing much happens. That quote they said earlier, don't ask what your country can do for you, but ask what your country, what you can do for your country. I think it's a better quote that we get to give so God uses our gifts to change the world. And he does that through the gospel. So in the Bible in Philippians, if you turn to Philippians, first chapter, New Testament, right there. I want to read a couple of verses and I want to dive right into our text today. And thanks for allowing me to be here. Verse 3, we'll read verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, just uh, use these words from your word to draw us closer to you this morning. God, use your word to make us more like you. God, use your word to send us out to make a difference. A difference in our homes, a difference in our block, a difference in this city, and even for some, a difference around the world. God, may you be glorified this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So I have the privilege of serving as your Send City missionary for South Florida. Part of Send Network is seeing healthy churches plant churches. And I have the privilege of serving churches that are planting churches in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach. And I'll be accepted into Monroe anytime you'll have me. Uh, but... I get to come alongside those churches that desire to see more churches started. Well, you may be saying, well, why plant another church? Don't we have enough churches? Well, do the math. Depending who you ask right now, South Florida, somewhere between 6 and 8 million. Nobody knows for sure. Last number I saw, 6.5. Just speaking about Southern Baptists, because that's all we can speak about, there are other kingdom-minded churches, and we praise God for them. But of just Southern Baptist churches, Monroe, Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, only 635. 635. So let's take the 6 million number. Let's divide 635 into 6 million. How many people is that that need to show up on church on Sunday? A lot. I don't do math in public. <laughs> And the good news is, is it's not just a matter of showing up on church on Sunday. If parking a bicycle in, the, in a garage would make a Mercedes, everybody would be driving one. But our text today talks about missions and church planting. Our text is written by a guy named Paul. 
He goes on these missionary journeys. If you read the book of Acts, you actually see in Acts chapter 16 what we're reading about here in Philippians. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul went to this little city called Philippi, and he meets a lady that has some money. She has some business. She makes clothes. Her name's Lydia, and he leads her to Christ. Paul leads a lady to Christ that actually is involved in weird stuff. And then Paul gets in trouble. He gets thrown in jail. He gets beat. He gets punished. God shows up in a miraculous way, shakes the jailhouse. Jailer is about ready to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. Paul says, don't do that. We're still all here. And the jailer comes up to him because he knows it was a supernatural moment and God was totally in control. He says, what must I do to be saved? And the jailer takes Paul and the other prisoners that Paul was with, home, bandages their wounds, loves them and cares them. And it says that the jailer and his whole house were saved. Not saved because of the jailer, saved because they all made a decision to follow Jesus. So I want to do a couple of things today in, my, in this text. And I think the text points us that way. I want to encourage you. I don't think anybody in the room has been encouraged too much. As a matter of fact, I think uh, if you were to say, hey, listen, I've been encouraged too much, just raise your hand real quick, and we'll back it down for you. No hands. So I want to encourage the church, but I want to encourage you as individuals. And then at the end, I, I want to speak and drill down real, real, real focus to the graduates, okay? So here we go. I think this text encourages us what it looks like to be a partner in the gospel. Everybody say, I want to be a partner. Now see, we just went to sleep. No, like let's say it like we mean it. I want to be a partner. Now you're probably saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to be a partner with. That's why I didn't say it too loud. But what if we were all a partner in the gospel? That's what this church is. This is a gospel-driven church, gospel-centered, gospel-desiring to see it move forward. So I think this text encourages a couple of things. First of all, that being a partner in the gospel requires prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Now listen, we all want to pray for ourselves. We want to pray for things. We want to pray for challenges we face. But here's the deal. What's your prayer life look like if you pray for how God would lead you to partner in the gospel? What if your prayer life was shaped with Matthew 6.33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it says... The all things will be taken care of. Now listen, we all need a lot of things. I get that. I'm not saying what you need or don't need or all that. But what if we put that to the side and focused on the kingdom first and trusted that the king of the kingdom can take care of all things? See, being a partner in the gospel requires prayer. A pastor by the name of Guzik in his commentary said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, the verse we read, when Paul remembered all that the Philippians had did for him, he was extremely thankful, and he was naturally grateful to the Philippians, but more so to God who had worked such kindness through the Philippians. You know, it's an incredible thing about prayer. Prayer will drive you to a place where you stay in a place of thankfulness. I love what it says later on in this chapter, the first chapter. And by the way, you can read the, the whole chapter. It's only four chapters. You just a quick read. 
But in verse 19, it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. See, Paul was thanking the church of Philippi because they were a praying church. And they were praying constantly for the mission to be moved forward. Constantly for the gospel to be shared. Constantly for lives being changed. As a matter of fact, you know what excited the church of Philippi? When they got reports that more people were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and their lives were being changed. I think it's one of the greatest things. It's, I think it's the magic sauce of missions is prayer. It's not something you do. It's not something you do because you don't have a lot of money. It's not, well, we can't do anything else, so we'll pray. No. As M.C. Hammer said it back in the day, we got to pray just to make it today. I mean, prayer's not the last thing. It's the thing. And the good thing about prayer is, first and foremost, it's not even about what we are asking for or what we get. It's who we get to be with. And I'll tell you, if you're going to be a church on mission, if you're going to be an individual on mission, if you're going to be a graduate that's going to make a difference in the world, it's not your gifts or your talents or what you have in your hand or your pocket or in the bank account. It comes out of your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Everything comes out of our intimacy with Jesus Christ. One of the things I wanted to share with you is a resource. You might be saying, well, how do we pray for missionaries? Well, there's a great resource. It's called PrayForPlanters.com. And there's actually, you can go to that webpage. I think we've got a graphic up there um, that'll show maybe. Um, But if not, you can go to PrayForPlanters.com. And you can actually see several men and their families that are planting churches all across North America and Canada. And you can pray for them. As a matter of fact, you could actually text PRAY to 888-123. And you could actually commit to pray for a church planter or a missionary that's making a difference. Because sometimes people talk about, hey, great, our church gives. Or great, we hear about this cooperative program. Or thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which drives and does missionary work. But you say, but what's all that mean? Go to PrayForPlanners.com and you'll see faces, you'll see stories, you'll see families, you'll see people that are living their lives on mission. But see, none of this happens without the power of prayer. Paul was thanking the Philippian church because they were prayer warriors. There's a guy by the name of Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to inland China and made a huge difference, and he was a devout man of prayer. As a matter of fact, he had a contemporary by the name of George Mueller who ran an orphanage in England, and George Mueller would go to bed many times knowing there was not enough food the next day to feed the children of England, the orphans that were on the streets. And his prayer would be, God, if you provide. Well, Hudson Taylor, much like George, said, depend, talking about prayer, depend upon it, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. As a matter of fact, Hudson Taylor would go on to say this. He would say, if God doesn't move the heart of China, it won't be moved. So he would rise every morning at 2 o'clock, light a candle, and get on his knees and pray for people in China to know Jesus. 
Being a partner in the gospel requires prayer. Everybody say, being a partner in the gospel requires prayer. But the second thing being a partner in the gospel requires is participation. Requires participation. I love what it says in the translation. It says, I thank my God in remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my prayer for you all in view of your participation. Some words, some translations actually say partnership and some translations actually say fellowship. It comes from a similar New Testament word and all three really go like this. As a matter of fact, I would title today's message partners. Like, let's be partners. If you want to be a cowboy, you say howdy partner or whatever. You know, I'm not a cowboy, so I just tried to fake it there. But partnership, partnership, there again a commentator said, for your fellowship in the gospel, this was one reason Paul was thankful for the Philippians. The idea is that the Philippians partnered with Paul in the spreading of the gospel through their friendship and financial support. See, partnership, the good thing about partnership is you can pray, and you should, and we all want to. But the partner means you're all in. These graduates here today aren't graduating because they did it by themselves. Now, maybe some of them did, but some of them have family, friends, moms, dads, cousins, aunties. Somebody that has encouraged them and had some partnership with them. Missions takes that same partnership. Not just the partnership to talk about but the partnership to go and to care. You read further along in here, and actually in your outline, it talks about uh, Philippians 1, 4. We read that in Philippians 2, 30. But what I would encourage you to do is to look at Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Let me read it real quick. But it says this, But I thought it was necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have to have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold people like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ with risking his life to compensate for your absence in your service to me. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when we say we want to participate, we kind of want to participate like, you know, kind of like you know, stick our toe in. Epaphroditus was all in. Epaphroditus was from the Philippian church, and he went all in. He went all in, all the way to the point that he got really sick, and he almost died. Now, I'm not telling anybody to do all that, but I am saying to participate means more than just like this. And I love this Philippian church because we see that they were participating. They were praying, they were sending people, and they were sending financial resources. They were all in. Participation that's all in.
You know, kingdom participation for the gospel, it'll cost you something. It'll cost you something. It's, it's going to take something. It's going to take some sacrifice. That's why I love in Philippians. Later on, we read in this book, we read about this other guy that made some sacrifices by the name of Jesus. We're not considering it to be this way, but of this way, gave his life all in. All in. Our example, our model. See, being a partner in the gospel requires prayer. Being a partner in the gospel requires participation 24-7. But being a partner in the gospel requires generosity. Now listen, if you grew up in the church, you might know something about that offering that just came down and the plates. We were riding down the car one day. Our youngest, he asked me, he said, Dad, he said, you're a pastor. And I said, yep. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, you know, on Sunday, when people put money in the offering plate, do we get that? And I said, no, we do not. <laughs> that is not our money. That is Jesus' money. He said, well, then how do we get paid? I said, well, that's another conversation. But, let, but let's have a conversation about what happens on Sunday. When people give, they're giving so kingdom things take place. They're sacrificing. Some people give money that don't make noise, and some people give money that makes noise. And even today, you don't even know what that reference means anymore because we don't even touch money anymore. Everything's, you know, you tap, you know, you tap. But the Philippian church was generous. And here's the interesting thing about the Philippian church. They didn't have a lot. I talked to so many people over the years, and I'm not old by any means, but this is what they'll say. You know who generous people are? Rich people. That's what they'll tell me. Generous people are rich people. And I say, that's a lie. You know who generous people are? Are people who are not in love with money. That's why the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it says the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm thankful that you guys are a generous church. I know that. I've heard that about you. I know about your pastor. I know about what you guys are doing. I know about what you're sacrificing, and you're generous. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say later, he'd say, don't store up treasures for yourself here, but store them up in heaven. See, Paul experienced that from the Philippian church. They were a giving church. We even see that in the early days of the church. If you were to go back to Acts chapter 16, you'd notice in verse 15, Lydia, Lydia taking Paul and uh, um, a couple of the other team into her house and practicing hospitality. That costs you something. Cooking a meal, having people over. Later on in 1632-34, we've already mentioned it in Acts, we see what? The Philippian jailer took Paul and a couple of prisoners into his house and he bandaged them and he fed them. But I love what it says in Philippians 4, 15 through 20. It says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that are at my first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia. No church shared with me in the matter of giving or receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gift more than once for my needs. 
Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. And then verse 18, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance and am abundantly supplied, having received from Epaphrodites what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Something about being generous, something about being giving, something about being generous and giving towards missions that just delights God, encourages God, that God loves. Not because you have to, not because you're forced, not because this person says I'm doing this and this person says I'm doing this, but people want to give. And not just give to pay a salary or to do something like that, but to give so other people could hear the gospel. So, graduates, this is where I focus in on you. One of the most important things is knowing what the gospel is. See, talking about missions or talking about preaching or talking about going to church is nothing. It's just religious activity if you don't understand what the gospel is. And in its simplest form, the gospel is this. That you and I, we're sinners. There's not one person in this room no matter where you come from or who you are or what you have or what you don't have, that can earn your way to heaven. And the Bible says that, as a matter of fact, when we're sinners, that there's a price for being sinners. And that sinner, that price is death. And that's not only physical death, but it's spiritual death. Because in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, God created us to be in fellowship with him. But Adam and Eve decided to sin and to cheat and to trust a serpent instead of trusting God's word. And from that point, every heir of Adam or everybody that came from the line of Adam and Eve, which is all of us in this room, inherited the gene of sin. As a matter of fact, there's nothing you or I could ever do to earn our way back to God. So if sin has a price and that price is death, there's a debt that has to be paid. And we can't pay that debt. Nobody can clean up. Nobody can do it right. You can't even learn enough of this good book to make it where you're worthy of heaven. But that's where the good news is, and that's where the gospel makes such a huge difference. It's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that it, whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God loved us so much that he knows that we are separated from him from sin. And by the way, sin is not just about good or bad. It's about separation. But God put on flesh, and he came to earth, and he lived a perfect life in the person of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus is God. But here's the good news, is Jesus died on the cross to pay the price of your sins and my sins. But here's where it gets a little twisted. You say, hey, I heard that. And that's the hard thing about being a graduate is you guys have heard a lot of things over the last 18 years. 
And some things you're going to use in the days ahead, and some things you may never use again. It's been a while since I've used algebra, but it's super important. I know that. Geometry, too. I know that. And there's probably something I do every day that takes algebra and geometry. But more than likely, I don't do a lot of homework anymore and show the work anymore. Because, you know, when you're in math, you know, you can't just give the answer. You've got to show the work. But here's the deal. Knowing the answer that Jesus is our salvation is not enough to be restored back to God. You have to make a personal decision to transfer your trust from yourself to God, and you have to repent of your sins. Now, repent is kind of one of those old-school kind of church words. And usually when we think about repentance, we think about anger and meanness and all that. But all repentance means is that we no longer go our direction and we go God's direction. We say that we are a sinner, we can't save ourselves, and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save us because he is good and he's able. And then when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ forgives us of our sins, cleanses us of all unrighteousness, and brings us into the family of God. And then, graduates, God's got the greatest purpose for your life in the days ahead. Not based on what you're going to do, not based on who you know, but based on whose you are. And that's when your declaration and your testimony is, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus is my Lord, my Master, and my Savior. I deserved punishment for my sin, but I asked God to forgive me, and God has forgiven me, and now I'm walking in him. See, this is super, super close to my heart. You say, well, why why is it close to your heart, Tim, and what's that got to do with the graduates? Here's the deal. I grew up just north of here in in a little city called Miami. And we used to go to church from time to time. But I I didn't know about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I decided, you know, hey, I was pretty smart. I knew a few things. I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this. And all I was doing were just things that were sinful, against the will of God, and not even matching up with the Scriptures. And at the age of 20, and a lot of trouble, and a lot of junk in my trunk, I heard the gospel for the first time. And I heard it in a church much like this. I didn't know anything about any of the people I was sitting around, didn't know anything, but I knew I needed to give my life to Jesus. And that day, I made a decision to trust Christ with my life. Now, here's the scary thing, graduates. I hate it, but that was 38 years ago. 38 years ago. I know some of you are all thinking, hey, he's he not looking that old, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe some of you, he wore out, you know. <laughs> 38 years ago. And here's what I would tell you. God is not a liar. He can be trusted with everything. He can use whoever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants. And how in the world is Am I here today in Key West, 38 years later, broken, messed up, 
nothing good about me except for Jesus speaking to you guys and you graduates because of partnership and the gospel. So I want to invite you graduates today to do something. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I, and I'd love to encourage you to make that decision today. And man, don't, don't, don't think, well, hey, this is my big day. That'll be kind of embarrassing. No, I can guarantee you what would happen if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. This, this group would stand up and clap for you just like they did for graduating. But also, there's a lot of guests and family and friends and cousins and neighbors here today. And this message is for you, too. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Not just talking about religion, not talking about a denomination, but talking about saying that Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sins and I want to follow him. Listen, here's the good news. When you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, he does, and he's got a purpose and a plan for you that who knows where you'll go or what you'll do. And if that means you stay here for 30 or 40 years and declare Jesus each and every day to God be the glory. If he uses you to go around the world and tell people about Jesus, to God be the glory. If he uses you to whatever, whatever you could imagine. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to step down here, and we're going to stand up, and they're going to sing. And the minute they start singing... If you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you just come. Don't worry about what people are going to think. Don't think, am I right? You know, is this the right time? You just come. And there's going to be some people down here today that are going to help you. Because today is not going to be the, the main event. Today is just going to be the beginning. Just like it is for you graduates today. This is just the beginning. So I'm going to pray. And step down here. They're going to sing. And then if you... We'll all stand up. As a matter of fact, why don't we just all stand right now? Let's just all stand right now. I'm going to pray. I'm step down. And then if you're here today and you want to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come forward. So you really can't be on mission if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord, Master, and Savior. But once Jesus comes in and changes your life, he's going to send you with a specific mission. Dear God, thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for these graduates. Thank you for family, friends. Thank you for this community. God, we do pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray today you would be glorified. We would pray today that there would be joy in the house of the Lord because this is the day the Lord has made and we will be glad and rejoice in it. And we do celebrate these graduates. We celebrate the potential. But God, what a great celebration each and every day, each and every moment, each and every place all over the world when somebody hears the gospel and puts their faith and trust in you. The Bible say that the, the angels in heaven rejoice. So God, today we're gonna rejoice. We're going to rejoice in somebody that's going to, in just a few moments, say, I, I want to follow Jesus. Because it doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter what they've done. It's not about good or bad. It's about confessing our sins and saying that we want to have a relationship with Jesus. We want to be forgiven of our sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness. And the Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths, we 
shall be saved. So God, take this time, this decision time, and use it for your glory. We give it to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.